As I wake up on the fourth morning of our journey across the country, I am for once momentarily disoriented. Not because of the copious amounts of booze consumed the night before, not because of my geographical displacement, not because of my sore legs, it's not any of that. Instead, in just one night, New Orleans has completely beaten me down. I mean emotionally and mentally and physically. My shin is bruised and my head hurts, but the disorientation must come from the fact that I went to bed angry. At four in the morning or whenever it was that the four of us finally got safely home, I was so endlessly pissed that I actually fell asleep with my fists clenched into balls under the thin hostile blankets. I never go to bed angry, and now I'm even waking up it. There's a tiny fan in our shared bunk room, but it's still hot, even this early in the morning. The few hours I slept must have been fitful as most of my bed is completely torn apart. I feel a bead of sweat travel down and pool in my lower back. I feel unraveled. It's only day four and things are tense. Yesterday, I somehow found myself under the spell of a Bayou street musician named Joby. I've woken up this morning with a little more embarrassed clarity and a little less patience for what the city does to people. New Orleans in June is sticky hot and complicated, and I'm trapped in the India House Hostel, tucked into this tiny hot room with my still-sleeping cross-country crew. There are clothes and towels and an empty fifth of bourbon on the floor. Half of my mattress dangles off of the creaking metal bed frame. The room smells like the inside of my car, a mixed scent of four people that I've already started finding freaky comfort in. Outside of our room, I hear the faint sound of voices, already laughing and drinking coffee and drinking not coffee. I hear India House's chef making drawling conversation while he cooks made-to-order breakfast on the outdoor grill. All components of a great day, but there's no way I'm facing it yet. Across the room, Ian sleeps soundly, a microphone and white earbuds on the floor next to his bottom bunk. In a few short days, he's been given multiple roles. Peacekeeper, head of audio tech, safety captain, most dependable driver. I feel a momentary pang of regret for yelling at him last night about the fiasco we got ourselves into deep in the French Quarter. I can't believe you've done this without losing a life. Momentary. Ian and I's relationship has been strained, even this early into the trip. Starting a business with someone you've been friends with since high school is really, really hard. Shooting a podcast with them might be even harder. I don't think either of us have learned to take the other seriously yet. Maybe we will. Or maybe this entire thing is just a pipe dream. I'll bet you can guess which option I'm leaning toward this morning. On the bunk above Ian, my brother turns onto his side, Liam. Three years younger, maybe five years cooler, brilliant like our father and patient like our mother. Completely his own person, like me on a good day. My brother's role on this nutty journey is much easier to understand. He's getting a ride to California for an internship that I don't really get. Before revivalism, he was going to be my only co-pilot. 
This turning across country was supposed to be something that he and I went on alone just to see if we could make it. I ball my fists again selfishly and then smile in spite of myself. We would have fucking killed each other. In the bunk above me, Lonnie, the last and perhaps the strangest addition to this group. Lonnie is my brother's friend who came from Lithuania to New York City to Virginia Beach to the backseat of my car in the hopes of returning to her California promised land sometime this summer. Lonnie is both transient and predictable in the way a younger sister tries so hard not to be. I am exasperated by her and endeared to her. All three of us are. I think of her tears and proclamations from the night before and I roll my eyes. I grab my phone off the floor and I remember something. On my cracked screen, the Amtrak app is opened with a ticket for one from New Orleans to LA in the shopping cart. $800. I guess she was really being a pain in the ass last night. Thank God I didn't press buy. I might be as dramatic as she is. The four of us, on the fourth day, with many more to go, emotional and hot-blooded and hungover and bonded tightly, whether we want to be or not. It's comforting in a way. We're family now, especially two of us, and there's no going back. The only thing we can do with any sort of grace is roll out of bed and wash our faces and hit the streets of New Orleans. Search for something to make this trip worthwhile. Taste a little bourbon, a little hair of the dog. My anger subsides as we all start to finally wake up.
Hours later, the four of us in downtown New Orleans, audio equipment strapped to our sweaty backs as we swim through the rickety, beautiful streets of the French Quarter. Even after the height of tourist season, this part of the city is of course full of people and it's easy to see that most of them don't live here. You can tell a true New Orleans by their eyes, just like you could tell a New Yorker by their walk, just like you can tell a Philadelphian by their swears. When someone is from New Orleans, they look at you with glassy, all-knowing eyes. They aren't distracted by the sounds or the crowds or the terraces on top of buildings or by that neighbor that likes to oil paint on his porch before it gets too hot. They look right at you and it's unsettling and it's addictive. Predictably, music fuses seamlessly with the ecosystem of New Orleans. It's just constant and exists both as background noise and as infinite entertainment. Southern musicians perform under a spell of self-awareness and not an ounce of reservation. Their shirts are stained with the heat of the city, and they somehow never look tired, even though the nights are late. Busking in New Orleans operates on a first-come, first-served philosophy. From speaking to various groups, we learn that a lot of bands have to come camp out at their busking spots from 3 in the morning until the next day when they start playing. Of course, there is a shift system to this, where one person stands guard while the others sleep, and then another person stands guard, and so on. But still, try doing that every single night during busy season. The musical acts all stay away from Bourbon Street and instead spread themselves out around Royal, Jackson Square, and Frenchman, or wherever else they fit. Apparently, there's a noise ban that goes into effect at 8 p.m. every night. But in a city where even the cops can be seen bobbing their heads to the constant swarm of music, the curfew just seems like a bit of a joke. But for the four of us, it's not 8 p.m. yet. It's only noon, which means it's hot much hotter than this morning, and it's loud. We lumber slowly through the streets, itching for more water, passing a couple acts, two women with fiddles, a couple soloists, a clown, a juggler. And then so easily, we hear exactly what we're looking for. A big band with big sound. It takes a while for us to pick our way slowly through the crowd that's gathered in front of them, gleaming in the sun. I can't see anything for a while. The mess of people is just too thick. But I can't be mad. This crowd has been drawn in as authentically as we have. People mid-ice cream cone and mid-sentence and mid-step. There's just something different about the sound. Without having eyes on them, I can see the whole band in my head stomping and drumming and pulling on violins. No one is singing, and somehow that makes it better. But it's not a band, it's just two guys. Meet Release the Chimps.
To speak plainly, Adrian and Fernando are beautiful. They are tall, tan, young, maybe mid-twenties, and from a distance, completely unapproachable. Like, male model level unapproachable. Adrian plays the violin plugged into an amplifier, and Fernando plays percussion, drums, cymbals, some kind of clacking sort of thing. Adrian is wearing black pants and a red checked button-down and a black tank top. But it's so hot that the button-down doesn't last long. And when he takes off his shirt, I'm mesmerized by his shoulders, by his ridiculous poise playing in this heat. He is lovely. Fernando has a bandana wrapped around his hair, and by 12.30, it's soaked in sweat. His eyes are black, and his back muscles reflect years of sitting behind a drum kit. He looks like a professional soccer player, and I know I sound like I'm swooning, but this is really how both of them looked. It was absurd. Together, Adrian and Fernando are different than the other bands in New Orleans, and it's hard to explain why, but I'll, I'll try. Um, they look like they sleep in real beds every night. They look like they have girlfriends and part-time jobs. They look happy. They look, and God, this is so naive. But they look like they don't need the money. And for busking, that makes a difference. Many street musicians in New Orleans overperform for tips. What does this mean, exactly? It means that they up their show antics to get the crowd engaged. Buskers tell jokes, they flirt with the middle-aged women on vacation from New Jersey, they smile sweetly at all the children. They overperform because that's what street musicians do, and that's how street musicians get paid. And it's not every member of every band. Usually within each group, there are just one or two funny guys. And they take on these characters with everything they've got. Joby from last night is a perfect example of this. Release the Chimps is not. Adrian and Fernando are clean cut and soft spoken as we learn once we finally speak to them. The two of them even make it a point to be welcoming to us, something that we definitely won't get used to for the majority of this trip. This two-man band is different from any that we talked to from any of the cities we visited. And for this, we love them immediately. At first, the four of us just listen. 
We fill up our water bottles at a little shop around the corner, and we stretch our legs out on the curb in the sunshine, and we watch Release the Chimps play. Eventually, as it has become my role, I nervously approach the two men, and I'm pleasantly surprised by their immediate willingness to be interviewed and recorded. We don't have anything for the drum. Liam and I already checked it out. I mean, you can just do a real rough recording yeah. with that. Thing, right? Are you guys yeah, interested in that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, just like, you know, next set, just stick it in there. Yeah? Just stick it in there. <laughs> stick it in there. <laughs> yeah. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk to... Liam and Ian hustle to set up the microphones, <laughs> untangling wires and unwrapping extension cords and plugging everything in. I continue talking with Adrian Fernando as they chug water on their set break. We stay with Release the Chimps for most of the afternoon, and honestly, so does a lot of the crowd watching them. Each of Adrian and Fernando's songs melts seamlessly into the next, and it makes it really easy to just sit and stare and enjoy. They don't take many breaks. And though we're working, bustling around, measuring levels and adjusting the mics and snapping photos, this session feels like a break. Their music acts as a white flag from the previous night that all four of us, Liam, Lonnie, Ian, and myself, unknowingly find peace within. So we stay. After an hour or so, Adrian and Fernando invite a young kid named Cameron to come up and perform with them. We're, uh, we're joined now by our friend Cameron, New Orleans native. I met him on Bourbon Street maybe six months ago. You guys don't even know what's about to happen. Cameron is somewhere between the ages of 11 and 13. I'm so bad at guessing ages. And he plays the bucket drums. And he is amazing. Cameron's rhythm and allow him to set the pace of each song that he plays on. Cameron, being young and immeasurably talented, immediately becomes a crowd favorite.
I'm Adrian, this is Fernando, this is Cameron over here. We have CDs on sale for $10 each. Full transparency, the, the CDs are me and Fernando. We're gonna get one with Cameron soon. And uh, yeah, anyway, those are $10. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. If you like the band, tip the band, and uh, yeah, we'll see you all soon. Thank you. At the end of his set, I watch Cameron count out his cash three times to make sure that the tip split with the release The Chimps is correct. I realize in this moment that he has more street smarts than I will ever have. And I watch him scoop up his drum and disappear into the French Quarter with his mom, who was hidden somewhere in the crowd. And that's just how it goes in New Orleans. I guess as fast as someone appears, they're gone. Eventually, the four of us trade contact information and hugs with Adrian and Fernando, and we say goodbye. Exhausted and dehydrated and starving, we travel to one of my all-time favorite places in New Orleans, the Central Grocery and Deli, home of the original muffaletta. Oh, you don't know what a muffaletta is? Just imagine a gigantic pressed sandwich filled with, like, eight different types of Italian meats and cheeses and some kind of magic secret tangy vinaigrette plus olive tapenade plus roasted peppers all smashed between two fresh pieces of bread. It's heaven. And I'm 99% certain that the central grocery is run by the mob, which just makes everything taste better. When you get inside, you can't order anything but the sandwich. They're all already pre-prepared, and someone just hands you this gigantic package, and he looks like an extra in Scarface. And it's so damn good. Once we are too full to move, and just because we have to, Ian and I take the New Orleans newbies to Café Du Monde for beignets and Café Olay. It's only right. Between bites of piping hot powdered donut and sips of coffee, things start to feel okay again. In our own way, the bitterness of this morning has dissipated and turned into gentle, if pointed, reconciliation among the four of us. You may be wondering what happened last night, and really, it doesn't matter. It's over. I think of my bald fist and protective hostility, and I know that deep down, most of the anger that I felt as a result of the trials of yesterday was directed at myself. Sure, Lonnie was being a huge brat last night, and Liam drank too much, and Ian wasn't on my side. But I am the one who developed unfounded feelings for someone I was supposed to be interviewing for a company that I'm trying to start, for a show that I'm trying to write. I'm the one who needs a reality check, though I'm not sure anyone in this group will give it to me. New Orleans makes me angry because New Orleans is compromising and unforgiving and exposing. It turns happy people into nihilists. But for now, I can fight back against that. In this moment, after a full day of recording and sweating and eating and existing under the Louisiana sun, I can find a lot of things to like about this city. I like the India House for all its ragged bunk beds and stranger-on-stranger hostile glory. I like the people that we meet when we record. I like Adrian Fernando, and to my chagrin, I still like Jovi. 
I miss Abby and Vaden and Ruby. I miss Adam. I like them all. I like when Ian tells the story about the time he was in New Orleans with his fellow cadets while in college, even though he's told it a hundred times. I like Muffaletta. I like spending time with my brother because I never get to. And I like that he wants to spend time with me. I like the plastic hurricane cup I kept from Pat O'Brien's, which reminds me of my late grandmother who shared the same name and danced on the same bar. I like the way the locals talk here, slowly and twangy and strange. I even like when Lonnie wakes up and does yoga in the mornings, though I'll never admit it. Most importantly, I like knowing that we won't be here tomorrow. The beauty of a road trip. Day four, full of caffeine and Italian meats and little sleep. Five in the afternoon, sitting in Cafe Dumont, picking at donuts, planning the rest of our last night in the bayou. I know there are still many more hours to go, and I know that the peace that I feel right now won't last. Right now, I'm grateful for New Orleans. I am blissfully and beautifully unaware. Revivalism is produced and distributed by Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. You can find out more by visiting GoatRodeoDC.com and following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoatRodeoDC. And while you're there, you can find more Goat Rodeo shows, like the unknown music histories of Between the Liner Notes, or the uniquely human experience of your story here. Special thanks this week goes to Adrian Justinese, Fernando Lima, New Orleans Street Brass, Little Chief, Liam Sargent, Perry Caramello, and the Zoom Corporation. Like always, like and share this show with everyone you know, and be on the lookout for brand new Goat Rodeo projects coming soon. This is Revivalism, and we're Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. <laughs>